Dear friends, reevaluation of our lives, reparation and redress are very important to God. The scriptures urge us to acknowledge our sins and not to conceal them in the presence of our Heavenly Father, but to confess them with a penitent and an obedient heart that we may be forgiven through his boundless goodness and mercy. So let us open our hearts to God in a time of confession and repentance. Merciful God, you know us better than we know ourselves, but we have not believed this. You care about us even when we do not love ourselves, but it has been hard for us to understand that this is true. We see so dimly and hear your word so faintly that we doubt your truth. We dare not trust the prophets or risk the cost of discipleship. We are afraid to believe, hope, and endure when there is suffering all around us. O oh God, grant us courage to change, to follow Jesus in spite of ridicule and rejection. Yet keep us from insisting on our own way, which may not be your way. In Jesus' name, amen. God pardons those who humbly repent and truly believe the gospel. Even when we feel that we are not even worthy to approach God, the Spirit goes before us and with us, and God welcomes us with his arms of forgiveness wide open. So friends, believe the good news of the gospel. so that we may reinforce his forgiving and his loving grace in our lives, let us repeat the words of the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Well, let's take a moment to share our Christian fellowship with one another in a time of greeting.
Good morning. Welcome to Church of the Palms. We are so happy that you are with us today as we gather together as the body of Christ. We hope that you will feel this to be a place of welcome, especially if you are uh, new in our midst, perhaps even a first-time visitor. We especially welcome you, hope that you will not feel a stranger here, and we encourage you, uh, along with the rest of us, to fill out the friendship pads which are in the pew, and hopefully that might uh, spark a conversation following the service and uh, underneath the tree as we continue in our fellowship together. We are, uh, again, filled with all sorts of things in the bulletin of uh, life here at Church of the Palms, and we invite you to take note of all the opportunities that we offer you to grow in your discipleship and to become a further equipped disciple in the service of Christ. Uh, just a couple of things to call to your attention. Uh, we have a congregational meeting later today at uh, 12 noon, immediately after our second service here in the sanctuary. So we invite you to uh, make a mad dash for brunch and come back uh, or whatever the case may be. But we would love to have you here as we uh, celebrate what uh, God has done for us in the year past and as we look forward to our hopes and dreams for what God might do in the year to come. We also uh, have some new classes today. So after our service, you'll uh, have a time to grab a quick cup of coffee underneath the tree. Then at 1015, we have equipping for uh, people of all ages, children, youth, and adults, and uh, a couple of new adult classes. If you look on page 10 of your bulletin, you'll see a couple of classes for, uh, for couples looking at uh, the five love languages, a wonderful book that uh, I've used over and over again. It's a, great, um, it's a great text for you to consider how your own, what kind of love language you have and what kind of love language uh, your, uh, your significant other might have. So we'd love to have you come and be a part of that. Also another class on uh, healthy families over in the Campus Center. So we encourage you to take note of those and join us for those opportunities. Our class this afternoon on the Chronicles of Narnia, uh, which normally takes place at 5.30. We've moved it up to 3 o'clock. There's, there's some other event going on later in the day that uh, <laughs> I've been preempted by the Super Bowl, God forbid. <laughs> Go Ravens. Uh, anyway, um, Next Sunday, we will uh, have uh, our blood bank will be here, and uh, we always uh, encourage you to uh, use that as a means by which to share a very precious gift with our uh, community. We want to keep uh, in our prayers the family of Scott Donaldson, whose service, memorial service is scheduled for this Friday at 2 o'clock, and uh, we encourage you to come for that. And then today, many of you are, were aware that we were to celebrate the ministry of Phil Bliss, who retired just a month or so ago. And uh, life has its way of confounding our best laid plans. Some of you know that Marguerite, his beloved wife of 58 years, suffered a severe stroke this week and yesterday morning passed away. So we are very saddened by that news. And Marguerite was a great uh, leader in our church, in our prayer ministry, and in our effort to equip disciples. And so we need to keep praying for the Bliss family in these uh, hours and days to come. There will be a memorial service uh, two weeks from Friday, the 22nd of February, here in the sanctuary at 10 in the morning. So keep Phil and his family in your prayers, and we will be celebrating his ministry in uh, the weeks to come. Let us continue our worship. 
Let us pray. Loving and generous God, receive this offering as a token of our love and gratitude to you, for we offer them to you in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. You may be seated. And are the children here yet? I would like to invite Lori and the children to come forward. We had to sing first over in the chapel, so now we're like making our way up the, up the aisle. Hey, Amy, how are you? Good to see you. Neil, good morning, good morning. You are a good helper carrying that big heavy bag. I may have a job for you in just a couple minutes. Good job. Hey, Franklin, how you doing? All right, we are so glad that you are here today. We are starting a whole new series, and I want to show you the sign language for this and see if you remember what it was. Here it is. Ready? It goes like this. Do you remember that when we talked about the fruits of the Spirit? Okay, I got another sign for you. This. What is that? Two. Two. Okay. <laughs> Anybody, help me out. Anybody else? What else does that mean? What, Natalie? Peace. Thank you, Natalie, that it's peace. So all month, we're going to talk about peace because peace is part of God's character, and he wants us to reflect his character. Well, one of the guys in the Bible actually taught us that really well, and his name was Isaac. And Isaac went out into the desert to go settle on his dad's land. Well, if you're in the desert, what are two things that you can't, well, one thing that you can't live without, but it's really hard to come by? Thank you. Water, Parker, excellent. So you know what they had to do in those times? They couldn't just turn on their faucet. They had to dig and dig and dig. And finally, Isaac got the water. And as soon as he got it all up, the king came and said, you need to get off the land. And Isaac's like, wait, this is my dad's land. I know that I'm supposed to be here. But rather than fight, you know what Isaac did? He gathered all of his people, all of the animals, and he kept the peace, and he moved off the land. But as soon as he settled in another place, what did he have to do? Get water. So he had to dig and dig and dig, and he got the water. These guys came up and said, you need to get off this land. That's our water. They were always fighting about water. He didn't fight. He kept the peace, and he went to another place of the land. And what did he first have to do? dig because he had to find water that's right it happened again finally he's all settled and the king comes to him and says Isaac can we sign a peace treaty because he could tell that God was on his side and that Isaac was really powerful with God on his side and now the king wanted to have peace so isn't that interesting by Isaac reflecting that value that God loves us to have, to be peaceful with each other, to care more about each other than we care about being right or than we care about winning an argument, all had peace. There wasn't any fighting. And I asked Stephanie if she would read our Bible verse today for us. You want to stand up, Steph? And here you go. Hang on to this. So let us do all we can do to live in peace. And let us work hard to build each other up. Let us work hard to build each other up. Sometimes it's hard to live in peace, isn't it? But the more that we do, the more we reflect the character of God 
and the more that we're living more into the kind of people that he wants us to be. Will you pray with me? Lord God, help us to reflect your peace and your love, even when it's hard to do. Amen. Hard to believe that knowing what the peace sign is actually dates you. <laughs> Our scripture this morning is from Luke's Gospel, the fourth chapter, beginning at the 21st verse. Hear the word of God. Oh, one more thing before I go to the scripture. I'm supposed to announce that we have a wonderful concert coming up on Saturday at, uh, featuring our own very own Genevieve, who is our leader of our children's choir, the Sarasota Young Voices. And it's a dueling pianos that uh, is at what time on Saturday, John? 3 p.m. Free. Free at 3. On Saturday afternoon. So you may want to join us for that as well. Now somebody can turn off their cell phone too, so that's, that's all good. We're all taking care of all the kinds of business we need to take care of today. Hear the word of God. Jesus began to say to them, today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And all spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his mouth. And they said, is not this Joseph's son and he said to them, doubtless you will quote to me this proverb, doctor, cure yourself, and you will say, do here also in your hometown the things that we have heard that you've done in Capernaum. And he said, truly I tell you, no prophet is accepted in the prophet's hometown. The truth is there were many widows in Israel in the time of Elijah when the heaven was shut up three years and six months and there was a severe famine over all the land. Yet Elijah was sent to none of them except to a widow at Zarephath in Sidon. And there was also lepers in Israel at the time of the prophet Elisha and none of them was cleansed except Naaman the Syrian and when they heard this, all in the synagogue were filled with rage. And they got up and they drove Jesus out of town and led him to the brow of the hill on which their town was built so that they might hurl him off the cliff. But he passed through the midst of them and went on his way. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. By your grace and through your mercy, O God, we pray that you will allow these words to come to point to the word just read and to the word made flesh that we may discover what it means to listen to Jesus and then to follow him. For this we pray in Christ's name. Amen. 
In our New Testament, uh, in our new members classes, there are a series of questions that we ask the inquirers to give them the chance to talk and share with one another. One of the questions we ask is, when you were a child, what was the warmest place in your home? In other words, where did you find in your childhood home the greatest sense of emotional and spiritual warmth? The answers we get cover just about every room a house could have. The, the family room where the family hung out, the living room where the guests were entertained, the, the garage where common projects were worked on, the, the bedroom, the place to escape and be alone, the kitchen where food was prepared and conversations ensued, so on and so on. For me, the answer I always give as the warmest place in my childhood home was a room we called the breakfast room. It's the room where we ate all of our meals. Family dinners were somewhat a non-negotiable event in our home. We had a traditional household. Mom was the cook, and she expected everyone to be at the table at a certain time. I'm guessing that 90% of my childhood dinners I shared with both my parents at either side of the table and my brothers across the way. We lived in a time when it was easier to do that. That table, though, was where we got connected. We, we laughed there, we cried there, we argued there, we solved problems there. Sometimes we just sat in silence because someone was hurt or upset. We did family at that table in the breakfast room. We wove ourselves tightly together. The three boys who sat there all became pastors following in the footsteps of our pastor father. And maybe the reason for that had to do with the fact that the dinner table was a place where my father did a lot of his ministry, actually. He was always inviting someone over for dinner. Usually it was someone who was struggling in or outside the church. The call would invariably come sometime in the afternoon. Susan, he'd say to my mother, any chance we could set another place at the table? I don't imagine my mother ever turned him down, though I suspect she wanted to on occasion. So I can remember teenagers in trouble at our table, unemployed men at our table, abused women at our table, couples in marriage crisis at our table, the first family of color to move into our city a few weeks after moving in to the taunts of their neighbors sat at our table, a door-to-door -door salesman who seemed pretty discouraged with life got invited in the middle of dinner to sit at our table. We grew to learn that the family table always had room for someone else, that the purpose of family was to somehow enfold the outsider, to make them feel, at least for the moment, at home inside our home. Any chance, he'd ask my mother, that we could set another place at the table. One wonders if this isn't, in so many words, the question that Jesus brings to that little synagogue in Nazareth back 
when he begins his ministry. Last week, we heard Jesus start his inaugural sermon by quoting Isaiah 61 on how the Spirit of the Lord had anointed him to preach good news to the poor and release to the captives and freedom for the oppressed and sight for the blind to, to get behind people instead of ahead of them. And everybody in Nazareth seems to be in agreement. Sounds like a good idea in principle. They all nod their heads. But then in our text this morning, Jesus moves to the application part of his sermon and explains to the Nazarenes that their Judaic tradition is filled with stories of God reaching even beyond the people of Israel to the Gentiles. God seems to love the Gentiles too. He reminds them of Elijah, the great prophet who had been sent by God in the time of famine to a Gentile woman to help her. Elisha, his successor, sent by God to a Gentile, Naaman the Syrian, to heal him of his leprosy. Jonah, whom he does not mention, is sent to Nineveh to rescue the godless. The list goes on and on. And so Jesus wonders, having started his ministry in Capernaum, which had a large Gentile population, Jesus wonders with his hometown friends, seeks counsel from his elders, from the elders of his youth. Any chance, he asks, any chance we could set another place at the table? Any chance we could invite those not in the family to be in the family? Any chance of inviting the uninvited? It will be the pattern of his ministry to, to invite the formerly uninvited. He tells parables about the great feast and inviting the sick and the lame and the unclean. He shows up at a Pharisee's house with a woman of ill repute. He lunches with tax collectors. He heals the children of Roman centurions and Canaanites. He, he touches lepers over and over again. Jesus is inviting the uninvited. It's an important question for Jesus to begin his ministry with, an important question to bring home to his own people. Is there any chance for us to, to set another place at the table. But it's also the question that gets Jesus in trouble with his hometown friends. He's wondering with those Nazarenes, what does it really mean to be family? Any chance, Jesus says, that, that, we, can, that we can open up the family to those who have been on the outside. It's a threatening question, I suppose, for any family, especially one that isn't used to setting another place. The invitation to strangers, to people who don't share our practices, to folks who seem morally suspect, to neighbors of a different color, it's bound to upset the equilibrium. And yet, yet what Jesus is strangely doing is he's, he's simply just calling them back to their own tradition. We are the children of God, the God who invites those outside the family. We have Elijah, he reminds them. We have Elisha, he reminds them. We have Jonah. We are the children of the God of the extra setting. Let's not forget that, he tells those Nazarenes. So Jesus, in turn, will always push us 
to think of the uninvited in our own lives. It's something for us all to admit. We all have that list of the uninvited. You do, I do. Conservatives have their liberals. Liberals have their conservatives. Republicans have their Democrats. Democrats have their Republicans. Evangelicals have their progressives. Progressives have their evangelicals. Christians have their Muslims. Muslims have their Christians. Whites have their blacks, blacks have their whites, straights have their gays, gays have their straights, Ohio states have their Michigans. Well, maybe we shouldn't go there. <laughs> but it's when Jesus points us, it's when Jesus points us to our own list of the uninvited and asks us to set another place at the table, it may be a visceral reaction we have. Not unlike those Nazarenes wanting to throw Jesus off the cliff, we may instinctively want to guard our family table. But it is Messiah who knows that the greatest salvation is the one where we are saved not from the other, but from ourselves. That the greatest gift we can give ourselves is to put someone next to us that we are not used to sitting next to. One more chance to see how great God's love really is. A new opportunity to see how the family can enfold to live in the tradition of Elijah and Elisha, Jonah and Jesus. You may remember seeing years ago a movie starring Sally Field called Places in the Heart. It's a story of a young Southern widow and mother trying to hold on to the family farm during the Great Depression. Her husband, the local sheriff, had accidentally been gunned down by a young African-American boy who was drunk and lived across the tracks. The KKK took it upon themselves to exact justice upon him. But in order to hold on to her farm, this widow and mom has to enlist a motley crew of outcasts, inviting them in to share her table in order for them to then plant her acres with cotton and then to pick them in time for market. She doesn't care whether they're white or black, blind or seeing, rich or poor. She just needs her cotton picked. But everybody else in town seems to be very concerned about the outsiders at her table. One of them is beaten and sent away. The whole thing comes to a close, though, on a Sunday morning down at the little church in the middle of town. The preacher reads from the words of Paul on love. The choir sings in the garden, and the trays of communion get passed around the little congregation to all the usual suspects, the good, white, God-fearing people then all of a sudden you realize you are somewhere else as the trays get passed. The, the camera focuses on the tray being passed and all of a sudden 
something happens that you weren't expecting, something you see you weren't expecting to see. You, you see, you see people you weren't expecting to see in this little southern church. All of a sudden, the tray gets passed from the white man to the black man. The victim of the gunshot passes to the gunman. The racist passes to the widow. The seeing passes to the blind. And they're all there together. With as much as could set them apart, they are mysteriously there together. The uninvited have been invited. And you realize you, you're at the heavenly banquet. You are at the table of the extra setting. And so, in turn, the host of the banquet would turn to us and ask, any chance, any chance of setting another place?
Friends, the good news is today that we, somewhere in our journey, were invited to this table. Maybe today is your first invitation to come to this table and to receive from this blessed meal, this great sacrament of God's love and forgiveness. God's grace extends though beyond us, doesn't it? That there are throughout this world many who are yet uninvited. And it would be God's will and hope that as we come to receive these gifts of grace and mercy, that such grace and mercy would be extended to all, that all might come to know that they have a place at this table. So we rejoice and give thanks. For we join with those even in heaven who take this meal with us, that we know that God is a God of love a God who yearns for all his children to be at table with him. Hear the words of the institution of the Holy Supper of our Lord Jesus Christ as they are delivered by the Apostle Paul. I received of the Lord that which also I delivered unto you, that the same night in which he was betrayed, our Lord took bread. And after he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body broken for you. When you eat of this, remember me. And after supper, Jesus took the cup. And he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you remember the Lord's death until he comes again. And he will come again. Let us pray. We fall on our knees, O Lord, with our face to the rising sun and give you thanks. We thank you that you have invited us to this table, that we come here not on our own merit. We come here not because of anything we've done. We come here not because we have our acts together. We come here not because we are morally righteous. We come only because you have invited us. We come only because of your grace. So we thank you, O oh Lord, that you prepare this feast for us to reveal to us how much we are loved, that the body has been broken, the blood has been spilled, your righteousness has claimed us through grace. So we thank you and praise you and ask, O oh Lord, that these, these elements, these common elements from our kitchen would become for us the feast of the Lamb and that we might know in the midst of this time together of the unique presence of your Son and your Holy Spirit that we may drawn, be drawn closer to the grace that you seek to extend to all. For we pray this in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, who taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. 
and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Our Lord took bread.
The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil. My cup runneth over. For surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. After supper, Jesus took the cup.
Beloved, let us love one another. For love is of God, and he who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world, that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we love God, but that God loved us and sent his Son to be the worthy sacrifice for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. For no one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. Thanks to God in prayer. Our most gracious and loving God, we thank you for feeding us with the bread of life and the cup of salvation. Now send us out into the world to live the good news of the gospel. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit rest and abide with you.
now and forevermore. Amen. Mm -hmm.